You're listening to Amplify Art's Alternate Currents interview series. Alternate Currents opens space for conversation, discussion, and action around national and international issues in the arts that have a profound impact at the local level. This interview series is just one part of the Alternate Currents blog, a dedicated online resource linking readers to topical articles, interviews, and critical writing that shine a spotlight on artist-led policy platforms, cross-sector partnerships, and artist-driven community change. Visit often and join the conversation at amplifyarts.org backslash alternate currents. We recently sat down with Zadika Poindexter, Amplify's 2022-2023 Public Impact Grant recipient. Zadika was awarded a public impact grant by an external selection panel to develop new public-facing work that interrogates the disparities black women confront in the healthcare system. Over the course of her two-year grant term, Zadika will conduct and transcribe interviews with black women to gather stories that shine a light on how their lived experiences, bodies, and voices are often minimized, manipulated, and ignored when seeking medical care. Zadika will transmute these stories into a layered choreo poem that uses sight, sound, touch, and feeling as tools to center empathy and understanding. The finished piece will have a local run and dedicated performances for audiences of Omaha area medical practitioners. As an integrated piece of her staged work, Zadika will also make her process simple to replicate for other communities by developing an interview guide, transcript analysis toolkit, and production roadmap. Um, my name is Sadiqa Poindexter. I am an Omaha born and raised artist. Um, my primary uh, genre is poetry and spoken word. Uh, so I've been involved with the Omaha spoken word community off and on since the late 90s. Um, so it's been a, a good long run for me. Um, I also, by professional trade in the daytime, work with Big Pharma. Uh, so I've been everything from insurance support to a drug representative to helping people understand understand their insurance benefits. Um, and honestly, I am where I am because I am a child of Omaha, a person who works professionally in Big Pharma, and I'm also a poet. And this came into a place in my life where I could do a project that made me this whole complete snapshot of a person, not just a artist by day and a farmer rep, an artist by night, a farmer rep by day. It's all of me in all parts of my life in a project. And mm-hmm. I'm in the right place for that. Yeah, that's super interesting, especially your background in the health and uh, health services industry and your background as a performance poet. Those two things are kind of coming to this um, very uh, poignant juncture with your public impact grant project, which we'll talk more about in a minute. Um, but before we dig into that, I'm also curious to know about the way that you work with um, kind of these multi-layered sensorial experiences um, mm-hmm. in your performance. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, uh, how you incorporate touch, sound, taste, smell, all of those things into your work? Absolutely. So for a lot of years, even still, the poetry and spoken word pieces that I'm asked to talk about the most are a segment of pieces I do that use food as a metaphor to talk about community. So it's not just me talking, like the most popular one is where I'm talking about peach cobbler, but also in talking about peach cobbler, I'm talking about family connection and also class indirectly. Um, By doing that work, I was able to start thinking about if I'm gonna be on a stage, and obviously I'm not serving everybody a piece of pie (laughs) while I'm on stage, how can I use my face and my voice and the language that I actually, the the actual words I use to write the poem, how can I use those to build a shared connection 
for me, spoken word is about trying to get a group of disparate people and connecting their core memories in a way so that in that moment, we're all in the same space experiencing the same things. And sometimes it's invoking the term butter because butter, if you mention it, like people have this very specific connection to the sweet and the salty and what it does or mentioning a certain spice. Like there's a very, like the communities of people who have a very specific way they feel about cilantro, whether or not you're the person who thinks it tastes like soap. There's all these ways that you can talk about food to build a shared connection. And it made a great opportunity for me to learn how to transport those things to my audiences while also sneaking in cultural or parable information at the same time. Um, and it honestly fed very much into where I'm at right now because I'm able to start talking about things like how it physically feels in your skin if you're in front of a doctor and you're scared or um, how it feel, the taste of a medicine and how that taste or the memory of the taste of some terrible medicine they used to feed you affects how you feel about medica medication therapy. Like if you ask someone from the soft about a drug called three sixes, you will get a whole story. <laughs> it's terrible, right? So I love the fact that I'm a poet who built my life, my bread and butter, I guess, on talking about food because it allows me to leverage that sensory information into the next place that I go as an artist. Yeah, and such a powerful way to trigger memories. Mm -hmm. People's associations with, like you said, the medical industry, specifically the smell of a doctor's office. That's something that I think yes. sort of like ingrained in, in your mm. sensorial memory for sure. Yeah. So maybe that's a good segue into talking a little bit more about your public impact grant project. Um, can you describe what it is that you're working on, uh, um, just kind of broadly in general terms? Sure. What I want to do is um, start by doing some research, just basically about seeing what exists in the academic world about the conversation about how people interact with medical professionals. And then beyond that, once I have what exists academically, I want to use that information to build an interview guide that I would use to talk to a collection of Black women about what is actually driving their, their attitudes with the medical industry, what experiences drive those attitudes. And when you start talking about those things, there's a lot of data, for lack of a better word, that you get. You get stories, you get quotes, you get feelings, you get, you start to find out communal trends when you're talking to different women who don't necessarily know each other, but tell similar, similar stories. In a academic world, you would take all of this and you would publish it in the paper and you try to get it published, or you'd read it at the, at the communication national convention. That was my academic field. But what if you? But what I want to do is take all that information and turn it into a play, uh, a choreal poem, actually. Since I'm a poet by trade and I'm used, very used to building group pieces that incorporate different voices, I'm going to take all of these voices and all of these themes that I get from the women I interview and turn it into a very long choral piece that can be performed on stage. The power of that is I'm honoring their stories. I'm also putting it in front of other people so they understand that their specific story is not something that is specific and unique to them, but also exists in other bodies that, that they can talk to. Um, and then also show it for medical professionals, because I truly believe that if you dig, if you implant an experience that reinforces the humanity outside of your diagnostic tools of the person that you're looking at, that doesn't just change that doctor or medical professional in the moment.
it means that 10 years from now, if they remember not my name, not my play, but hey, I had I, rem I have this memory from somewhere that says maybe I should ask a question or two more. Maybe I need to take a minute and listen differently. Then that's the power of this project. It's not about the moment. It's ingraining in people information that they take forward to make everybody healthier because we're thinking and talking about things differently. And what do you think it is about this time and this place, Omaha specifically, um, what makes this the right time and the right place to deepen our understanding of how systemic disparities within the healthcare industry affect Black women specifically? I think it starts with the fact that we're living through what may very well be year three of a global pandemic. We came into this knowing, like if someone would have asked me pre-pandemic if I knew and believed that there were health disparities, I would have absolutely told you yes. There's a host of stories we can point to as Black women, especially when it comes to things like obstetrics and gynecology, that we can point to that shows that they, they absolutely do exist. But then a global pandemic happened, and there was something out there that couldn't be explained away as a failing or a lack of action on the pack of part of a specific community. Everyone was affected. Everyone was dying. Everyone needed to start having conversations about their health in different ways. And what happened was when you put everything under that super specific light, spotlight, all of a sudden these glaring disparities become bigger because it's not just about something you can explain away. You have to talk about how things have been happening to people for potentially generations and why that means that it affects how we move through and past the pandemic because they don't trust the people who are giving them the information. It matters that our history prior to the pandemic got us to a point where we didn't necessarily have the conversations that we needed to have and also showed, shown a light on the fact that we weren't getting the care that we needed to allow us to even get to the baseline um, as a black woman, like my health outcomes are different than that of say a white woman in my same age bracket. That is just true. And people like to talk around it, but now you can't because there's something out there that affects us all. And we need to decide how to communicate that message to everyone effectively. So if we're gonna be here and we're gonna have to try to figure it out, why not really dig down into what's causing the problem? And more importantly, what conversations we need to have to start to address it to make sure that I'm honoring bodies like mine. And by extension, if I teach people to have empathy in conversation, honoring all bodies. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the things that I find super interesting about your project is the fact that you're using a choreo poem to explore this subject matter and to look at the intersection of art and medicine more closely and really um, um, examine what it means to work across those two sectors. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that will look like in the context of your of your project? Absolutely. So sometimes when I talk about this thing, I think people get the impression that I am anti-academia. I'm not. I am at my core a huge nerd. <laughs> I am all about uh, reading this information and trying to figure out and looking at theory. Like that means something to me. I have a favorite academic theory. I am that kid. That said, it's a different thing to have something exist in a journal. 
that is not accessible, and even if it's accessible, it is not even something that enters into people's consciousness for huge swaths of the population. It's not like you're going to go to the barbershop or to your doctor's office and see the National Academy of Communication, Health Communication sitting on the thing. That's not what's out there. The reason intersection of art is important is it takes that same information that can exist in a paper or in a journal or in a conference and put it in front of people in a way that is easy to access and understand and discuss. So I'm not gonna talk about, I don't know, third person, Wander's third persona theory. I'm not gonna do that. But what I can do is say, hey, this is the message that's out there. This is how it is received by the black women who are being affected. And when you talk, if you're not addressing these people, you're excluding them from the conversation and that matters and how can you make sure you modify the conversation that you're having not so every message is perfect for every population because that message does not exist but maybe how you can start tailoring things to have conversations with people with real fears and concerns to ensure that they are being uplifted and also it, transporting that information to their providers so they understand how to be better providers of care to all populations art has a way of building a shared experience. It's about getting us in a room and getting rid of our preconceived notions and our barriers and having a really good time looking at something that is artistically beautiful, but it has the also the benefit of transporting information into everybody in the room that matters and can have an effect on their lives. And I think your love of theory and your background in research also comes to bear on this project. It's, it's a big part of it, right? Because you're going to be conducting that research and doing interviews with Black women whose lives have been um, changed in some way, sometimes irrevocably, by our, our healthcare system. Um, when you think about how, when you think about the process of gathering um, those interviews, gathering those stories, can you talk more about your approach to stewarding them, to honoring them, um, and to, to, to keeping them with you? Uh, the first thing, when I was entering into this process, this sounds tangential, but it'll come back around. I knew that it was important to pay myself as an artist. Um, and I think it's important to pay all artists because that's how we continue to receive art. We can't treat it as something that people sacrifice in order to make other people happy. It needs to be part of our design, paying art. But also in making this art, I'm asking people to share or share potentially traumatic stories. Um, so another one of the ways that I'm honoring these women is by actually paying them for their time. Um, there is a lot of, especially when we start talking about, we're in a point in our point in our society where there's trauma porn everywhere. We've got 24-hour news cycles. We've got Facebook sharing stories. We've got all these things on YouTube where there's a lot of sharing and people aren't necessarily honored in the way that they should be. I want to make sure that I am taking these interviews, paying them for their time because that matters. And then also including um, subsets of these women that are interviewed and also having talkbacks with them. So as I start writing this process, having a group of people where I can say, let's have a discussion and a read through so I can make sure that I'm hitting the messages properly and honoring because I am but one black woman's voice. I need to make sure that I'm honoring more of them, more than that. Um, it's also making sure that when we get to the point of the shows going up, 
who says that a person who isn't really passionate about this and has an experience but never thought of themselves as an artist can't be part of this cast? What does it add if I'm making sure that their voices are included, not just textually, but actually they're physically in the room to start to have this discussion? What does it look like if I have a person or two who's part of a talkback afterwards? Because there's gonna be some feelings. This is actually trauma by its most classic definition. What does it look like if I have an after show talk back that includes some of these women that were interviewed so they can have touch points that say, look, this is not just a story. Let me tell you how this is my life and how I move forward after that. All of these things are ways that I honor these women. These are not just random subjects in a study. These are my neighbors. These are women who I've worked with. This is my family. These are all different reflections of the community that I love. So I'm honoring them by including them the entire way and also paying them for their time, which matters. That's incredible. Um, another important piece of the work, uh, speaking of community, is the idea that this process can be easily replicated and sort of distributed to other communities and then sort of tailored to their own specific needs by creating a um, interview guide and transcript analysis toolkit, production roadmap, um, and you know, whatever else people might need to sort of replicate this process. Um, does that conceptual underpinning, how do you think that that conceptual underpinning is going to influence your workflow and just kind of the uh, um, uh, sort of day-to-day -day tasks that are involved in creating this work? And I guess the second part to that question is, um, since ultimately you're going to be giving up sort of a degree of control or authorship, um, if this project is adapted by others, um, is that, uh, how does that influence the work? How does that change things? I think um, to start talking about the first part of the project, I think in some ways it might make things move slower in a way that makes things move faster later. If say I'm working with an archivist to document this process visually and textually, that makes me stop and think about things and intentions and what and who I'm including in, in the beginning, which may mean I might stop and be like, hey, let me talk to this archivist and make sure everything I need to write down is written down. But that also means later, I don't have to rehash that conversation possibly when I'm further down the line when I should be, because I've already started getting myself in the mindset of communicating this information in a way that is clear and impactful in the beginning because I am working with someone to archive the process. Um, and since I am hopefully putting this in a place, no, I'm trying to reframe my language. Since I am building this, so it will be replicated in other communities, it is incredibly important that throughout this archive process that I understand that this is not about ownership. Yes, this will be my script and yes, this is my process. But this isn't about ownership, it's about leadership. It's about building a process that can transport it in other communities because my experience doesn't speak to, even if we did this in a different group of people in Omaha, if we did first generation immigrants, it sounds different, it looks different. That's okay, I wanna tell my story. And if I can use the framework of my story to help someone else tell theirs, and by extension mean that next time I go to the doctor, things are gonna be easier for me, or when my daughter has to be in control of her healthcare and 15 years, she can have a better experience, then that's the end goal. Um, so I'm okay with releasing that into the universe because I know that when it's out there, it can have ripple effects that do come back to me. 
That's a wonderful way to frame it. It's a wonderful way to look at it. When you think about those ripple effects, can you talk a little bit about how creative work um, uh, can position itself to respond to systemic challenges? Do you think when you factor in that kind of ripple effect, how does that potentiality grow, expand, change, or look different? I think lots of us as artists have been, lots of us have been taught that art is fine, but art is something you do in addition to something else. And lots of times organizations that are looking at health disparities don't necessarily look at integrating all of that together the same way that we don't look at it for ourselves. Like I am a drug rep who is a poet at night. But all of the, there's no, there's no, there's no break in that. I am all of those things everywhere I go. Um, poetry affects my day job just as much as my day job affects my writing. That is just true. And if arts, or if health disparity organizations that are looking to target folks, stop looking at people as someone who they just need to translate a message to. Maybe it's about, maybe I need to build a community environment in which all of us have this discussion and we are peers, not I am someone who's communicating information to you. If we interrupt that model and start talking about different ways that we can start to talk about targeted communities and talk to, talk with targeted communities, that matters going forward. I don't see why there shouldn't be large-scale projects between arts organizations and teaching hospitals because there are ways that those two organizations can work together to have a tremendous effect. I'm hoping that I can start to model that in this particular instance and then model it in other communities going forward. Are there resources that cultural organizations and art institutions could provide um, to offer more meaningful support to artists whose work uh, is made in response to systemic challenges? Are there things that art institutions could do better to shore up those artists? There's a uh, kind of poetry called ekphrastic poetry. I think that's the right word. Don't quote me. Definitely not. I love poems. This is not my per the place where I'm perfect. Basically, they give you a picture and you look at that picture and you, after looking at it, you create a piece of art. Like this is a like there's a challenge actually Rattle Magazine has it where they actually once a month post a picture and then they take in submissions from people who have responded to it with poems. That process can exist in an arts organization. Let's say a huge arts organization and a hospital decide to get together and they have a series of a series of images of how people are affected by COVID in their day-to-day -day lives and even when they're in the ICU. What happens if that we start having people write about that and not just people who are the artists, the people who have decided that they are poets. What it looks like if you have a, a conversation about COVID and treatment and you bring these images and say, let's talk about these. Let's write down your response to these. Let's see where we are and what you feel. And once we're there, maybe we can figure out how to discuss a path forward that gets us both to the end of this breathing and upright. <laughs> like, there are ways that it can happen. Um, I think through this process, I'm gonna learn a lot more about how the institution of medicine works because I work at a very small subset being with pharmaceuticals. And maybe I will have different ideas about how that will work going forward. I don't expect to be the writer I was in 2020 
at the end of this project. I don't expect to be the human I was in 2020 at the end of this project because you cannot do this much reading and this much research and this much time talking about these interviews and analyzing this information and their stories without changing. So I imagine if you ask me the same question when we do a check-in in six months, it's gonna be a different answer because I'll know more and also be feeling differently because I've been spending more time immersed in it. I'm really looking forward to that evolution. Um, looking, looking forward to what the next two years holds. Um, for now, your project is still in the very early stages. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of where your, what, what your initial steps um, will be toward this big undertaking and how people listening can get involved and where they can find you, social media, website, any of that good stuff? Also, also um, yes. So I think I mentioned before, a lot of this is reading. So right now there's a lot of books. Um, I have a website, uh, which is adikapointexter.com. That is the easiest way to find things. Um, and also for people to reach me. Trust me, if you send an email through that site and it pops up, I do a dance. Please email me. It's great. And it comes directly to my phone. Um, I'm going to start uh, ways. I'm going to start posting my reading list so people know where I'm going and what I'm reading. That's part of the archival process. Um, so that's one thing I'm doing right now is reading. Another thing is starting to have conversations. It's having conversation with community stakeholders. It's having conversations with the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Um, it's having conversations with other artists. And it's also starting to have conversations with women who have heard about this project and want to be interviewed. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. As this project evolves from its infancy, my website is going to be the fastest way to track the progress. And then also as things get to a little bit more solid place where I'm going to start interviewing women, there will be a secondary page. So my website dedicated to the Amplify Arts project. So people can go to a very specific place, sign up to be interviewed, see where we are, look at any archive, any, look at any video we may have created, see a reading list and where we can, where we can potentially talk about things later. All of those things will become available through that website. I don't, this is the work that I've chosen to do, but I recognize that there's a community out there. And if they're engaging with the website, that gives me insight and gives me strength in ways that really, really matter. So definitely looking there would be a great place to start. Um, other than that, there will be hopefully, again, reframing. Sometime this year, I'll like I'll have a show um, where I start doing preliminary work from this just to make sure that people see where I am, see how I'm responding to the work, and hopefully I'll include other people from the community as well so we can start to have this conversation in a small way prior to the big show happening in 2024. Three, three. <laughs> That's amazing. Zadika, you're wonderful. I'm so in awe of you and your work. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk about it with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. This next two years is going to be magnificent because this is what I want to do. And I'm in the position where I'm exactly where I need to be. And I know exactly what I need to know to get the process started. I am well covered by the universe and I recognize that I have blessings. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we sign off here? Um, if you're really interested in other pieces of my work, um, if you look on the Facebook page for the Union for Contemporary Arts, there is a video of a show I did recently that really was rooted in the idea of doing uh, work with the five senses and what it sounds like to communicate that in a virtual world. Um, you can go to the Union's page. You can 
watch the show. And if you want the sensory kit, there's a few available down the Union for Contemporary Arts that you could pick up. And again, if you have questions about the process or if you want to be in conversation about what's next, please reach out to me at ZadikaPointexter.com. I am always available and always happy to talk to people about these things that I'm passionate about. Amazing. And that work you referenced was titled Sense of the Pandemic, right? Yes, it was titled. It is, it is titled Sense of the Pandemic, and uh, the full uh, video is available from the Union's Facebook page. Perfect. Thank you so much again.